This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We're going to have a little chat about normal bridge stuff today, Barry. Well, level two, wahoo! I know. How about that? We might not care, but we're going to be at level two. We're heading into summer bridge, so the club's going to be open for three sessions, is that right? I understand that there's going to be one online session and three normal sessions, if there is such a thing as normal. So face-to-face, Monday and Thursday night, I believe, and the normal Friday morning to afternoon session. And yep, I believe they're going to pick and remain with one online session during the evening. It'll be interesting to see how popular that session gets, Mariana, won't it? I'll be on it. I won't be playing face-to-face. Could be a few people like that. And just talking to somebody telling me that there are people that don't want to get vaccinated that do want to play face-to-face. There might be a few of those too. Could be. If you've got some feelings about to vax or not to vax, that is the question. Let us know, bridgezoneshuffle at gmail.com. And if you just play online, then that's another issue that we'd like to know about. How many of us Kiwi Bridge players I'm thinking, thank goodness we're online bridge because that's where I'm going to hang out. So we've got Alan Morris, the chair, his audio from last week. Not all of it because there's a bit of space for us to have a chin wag about bridge. Good morning and welcome to the chair of New Zealand Bridge, Alan Morris. He's with us to have a chat about dealing with COVID-19, traffic lights, public clubs and private clubs and where the bridge wheel fits in it. Any other thoughts to add in to Alan's pile of discussion, Barry? Well, it's a hot topic, obviously. Everybody's talking about it. The truth of it is nobody really has any answers. We're all waiting to see what will happen. What can you tell us, Alan? Well, I'm probably in the same mess as everybody else, trying to understand the traffic light system as it's presently written. The government has said they're going to update it on the end of this month. But based on what they have released so far, it presents some challenges If bridge clubs and bridge events fall within the broad definition of an event, at this point in time, that's the only place that it appears that we're covered. So there are some good things and there's some bad things. I mean, we know the government is pushing vaccinations and it seems to be the only solution on the table and that we're going to have to live with COVID in the community at some point of time, and it's how best we can manage that. So reverting to the traffic light system, under the green category, the go category, where COVID is managed within the community and it's managed within the in the health system, the hospitalisation is manageable, basically. Everything they're doing is about the health management system. There are, will be no limits if vaccination certificates are used. If vaccination certificates are not used, then there will be limitations on the size of the event, limited to 100 if we fall within the category of 100, and you have to be seated and you have to have physical distancing. 
in addition to the norm around record keeping and scanning and face covering, face masks being encouraged. So what that is saying is potentially, if anybody wants to play bridge, if we fall within the definition of an event, you're going to have to be vaccinated. There are some big questions, of course. After about six months, the efficacy of the vaccination starts to reduce and you will require a booster. And there's been comments in the media about boosters as recent as yesterday. I really struggle to see that the government will get the same level of compliance for boosters as they have had for the general vaccination. We're never going to get 100%. You know, we'll be lucky, to be honest, to be at 90%. If you move away from the green, the same issues around managing the system, still record keeping, still face masks encouraged. Again, no limits if you're vaccinated. But if you're not, then all of those constraints become mandatory. And if you're in the red, well, again, if you're vaccinated, we're okay. If you're not, there will be no events taking place. So I suppose the message I'm trying to get across at this early stage is encouraging people to be vaccinated and giving them a heads up that vaccinations may become a criteria to be able to play bridge at a club and or at an event. Now, that might change when we get some further clarity from the ministry, which I've asked for, but it might not. And I'd rather people be forewarned and understand that if they want to continue playing this game, then they're going to have to be vaccinated. That's one part of the conversation. The second part of the conversation, which is a natural progression of this thing, is if with COVID being in the community, we're going to have to live with that face-to-face bridge is not the only game available. And we're going to have to find the right mix between online bridge and face-to-face bridge. So those two things are going to be with us, I think, for the next 12 months, if not longer. One of the problems with face-to-face bridge, and it sort of has been brought up from time to time and sort of glossed over, is the the social distancing thing, Alan, (laughs) that uh, whether it's two metres or one metre away, at a bridge table, well, you're just not, are you? No, you're not. You're about a half a metre at best. And yeah. we've said it's okay because as long as you don't have visitors, you know the people, you're in a small cluster of people, we've seemed to have you know, managed that okay. But the reality, without elimination and the quiver of arrows that the government's got, the rules are changing. Well, that was our little clip with the chair, Alan Morris. We'll catch up with Alan again next week. What about those results, Mariana? Which results? We've got some bridge results. Tell me about them. The New Zealand wide pairs. Have you forgotten already? Oh, you couldn't get past that fast enough. You got some Babbage results for us. Let's share it. Well, this is remarkable, I think. Vivian Sexton and Maureen Russ, who were winners of the New Zealand wide Babbage pairs in 2020, have repeated the dose in 2021. I'll have to ask Richard Solomon, but I would have my doubt that's ever been done before, two years in a row. A two-peat, wow. They're from Kerry Kerry. They scored 73.04%. Mm. Second were Marge Cockburn and Marge Hughes from Tiana, 71.08. Third, Bob Hurley and Wayne Burrows from Palmerston North, 70.92. They had prizes for the top restricted open pairs, Ed Rogovan and Chris Marshall from Picton, and Jenny and Peter Storey from Kaikoura. 
Top two scores below open, Janine Oates and Francis Loder from Palmerston North, 69.13. Jenny Meads and Simon Loudon from Martin, 69.01. Top two scores below intermediate were Paul and Stephen Cowrie from Martin, 59.48. And Christine DeVries and Hilary Williams from Rotorua, 59.08. The top two novice scores, now this top one is remarkable, Philippa Holstein and Pauline Clifford from Kaikoura scored 57.89. In a field of that sort of size, it's a very good score for for two novices. Massive. Well done. Paul and Richard also did well from Greymouth with 51.53, the second top novice. And the nearest to 50 were Klaus Steiner and Doug Appleby from Omaru, who scored 50. Perfect. Good event. I like that event. I'm going to go and buy some Babbage wine as well because I quite like their wine. Well, if you take your book in, you get a 20% discount, don't you? Yeah, but you just need to put in the promotional code, which I believe is Bridge. Hey, something else. There's been a new thing from New Zealand Bridge. Let's have a talk about that, Barry. Win a luxury beach pad for you and your mates during Congress. I mean, really? How cool is that? What a great initiative. It is. So how do you do that, Mariana? What have you got to do? You've got to write a little bit of a blurb. It's got to be in before December the 15th. And we've got someone that can come on and explain more about that next week. Is that right? Anna Kalma, we'll get her online. She wasn't too keen, but we'll drag her on anyway. I think it's cool. So you want to stay in a three-bedroom luxury waterfront beach house for you and three bridge mates for the entirety of the Congress. But I know at the Gold Coast they have this sort of thing going on. They usually have an apartment on the 24th floor or something or wherever the heck it is there and looking straight out over the water and they invite the Kiwis all go up there and, and eat all their snacks and drink all their booze and leave. I've they- only been to the Gold Coast once, Barry, and I just so happened on that one time, I just happened to be with a group of people that were invited up there. So I actually made it up there and we had no idea what we were heading into and myself and Debbie Markroft from Palms the North we just toddled along with our friends from Ken and they said yeah you two come on up we're like okay and we went up there and we met all the hobnobs <laughs> so I'm like oh what do you guys have to do oh we're staying along with these guys I tell you it was brilliant and I think it's wonderful if New Zealand Bridge are thinking about doing something down this vein Yep, staying at the mount, looking out over the water. It'll be awesome. It's right down your alley too, isn't it? Free booze, free food. Those moths in your wallet didn't even have to get out. (laughs) I usually make it up to the one at Gold Coast, and I don't know whether I'll be getting there next year, but you never know. I've still got my fingers crossed. You know, never say never till a dead horse kicks you, is what they reckon. I'm actually thinking about my plans for next year, and I think I might do a little bit of travel. I'm trying to win my way to the Taranaki Congress. I think you could. That's obviously still looking at running that, and hopefully that's all going to go ahead. I do feel sorry for the guys down there. They put so much work into that, not being able to run one yet. So let's hope that's a success for them. Let's go off and listen to Bailiff, because Judge Julie's in session at the moment. So we have Patrick. Coming up next, we're heading off to the courthouse. Director, please. Here's Bailiff. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Patrick. 
Hey, we want to talk about duties of a diligent dummy. Is that an alliteration or what? Oh, well, I don't know about your diligent dummy duties. Dummy doesn't actually have a lot of rights. They're there to prevent their partner from committing an error in terms of if partner goes to lead from the wrong hand or goes to put a trick the wrong way. They can point that out. But for instance, if the declarer has put a trick the wrong way a couple of tricks ago, you can't then point out that previous error. You can't point out to partner that one of the defenders has led out of turn because you're there only to prevent partner committing an infraction rather than point out previous infractions or the opponent's infractions. So you can't even point out that an opponent's revoked. What you can do there when the opponents are revoked is at the end of the hand, you can say, hold on, look, we need to stop here and call the director because I believe there was a revoke earlier. Then the director can be called and go over it. So if you notice the revoker's dummy, then you can stay quiet and you can deal with it at the end of the hand. If you notice a defender's lead out of turn, you can't point it out and that opportunity to do anything about it will obviously pass you by. So Once that's been accepted... My own personal ruling here, which is only tempered by the fact that perhaps the defender's led when it's declarer's turn to lead, probably the declarer would spot that, is if one of the defenders leads and it was the other defender to lead, I simply say, well, look, declarer might have noticed that, but we'll never know because dummy drew it to their attention and I can't let dummy transgress their rights and give their partner an advantage. So I'm going to simply say, declare a might not have noticed and we'll carry on. So if you are an overly diligent dummy, you will actually possibly make life more difficult for your partner by pointing out too quickly something that they might have noticed themselves. How can the director know where the declarer would have spotted it when you're the one that jumps in? As dummy, you don't have any rights. Dummy can call the director, but only when someone else has pointed out an infraction. So you can't call the director to point out an infraction. But if somebody else says, oh, that's an insufficient bid, what do we do about that? That's a lead out of turn. What do we do about that? You can then take charge and call the director and get the rulings. Somebody else has to point out that there's an infraction before you can call the director. I want to know whether this is a myth or a legend or an old wives' tale about everyone being responsible for dummy, Patrick. So this is usually claimed. There's nothing in the rule book that says this. This is usually claimed when... For instance, there's a card not put down in dummy or a card hidden in dummy, even 13 cards displayed, but one of the diamonds is in the heart suit and nobody notices this sort of thing. The rules are different concerning revokes in that situation. The rules don't say everyone's responsible for dummy or anything like that. What does happen is that if dummy commits a revoke or if the clearer commits a revoke and calling for a card from dummy that there was a revoke, it's not penalised in quite the same way. In that, it's not a hard and fast one or two trick penalty as other revokes are. But what the, the director does look at is, was there any disadvantage? And that applies even when there's not a revoke, such as when, if you're defending six hearts and you lead the ace of spades when, from your ace, king of spades, and dummy goes down with only one spade. And so then you play some other suit and it turns out later that one spade was hidden behind a club, then obviously you would have cashed two spade tricks. So here, even though there's no revoke, dummy being put down incorrectly has disadvantaged the defence. So the director can adjust to give you that trick. So I reckon many uh, people would know that. So dummy being put down incorrectly doesn't automatically mean that the other side's going to get a penalty, kind of going to receive something, 
or even a card being called from dummy you know, as a revoke also doesn't mean the other side's going to receive something. Like if you put down a singleton diamond and the singleton ace of hearts and the hearts of trumps, and you actually do have two diamonds, if the defense starts off with diamond, diamond, and you rough with the ace of heart, well, that's not necessarily penalized. The director's got to look at, okay, you're rough with the ace of hearts and won that trick. Did you lose a trick later on because that card had gone? Did the defense get a trump trick back in return? And so... If that revoke didn't gain declare anything, no penalty. If it did gain declare something, you adjust the rules say to provide equity. All right. Well, thank you. We shall catch up with you another time. Okay. All right. Thanks, thank you. Have got a bridge question for you. Well, that'll be good. Okay. And then one of these for a while. No, oh, I know. What do you do when your partner opens? You're playing five card majors, variable, no trump. Partner opens one diamond. And you're looking at your hand, you've got six diamonds, two spades, two hearts, three clubs, and you've got 12 high card points. What do you reckon would be the best description for your hand? This hand is it's ideal for a system called, they call inverted minors. So normally, if it goes one diamond, two diamonds, it shows six to nine, right? And one diamond, three diamonds, shows 10 to 12. For hands like this, which are really awkward if you're playing that system, they've inverted those bids. So two diamonds shows 10 plus because it's forcing. One diamond, two diamonds says I've got at least enough for it to make three diamonds and it's forcing. Whereas one diamond, three diamonds is, is a weak bid. It's six to nine, shows good diamond support, but it's more preemptive to try and keep the opponents out. If you did want to add inverted miners to your arsenal, as long as you don't forget, the day that you open one diamond and your partner bids two diamonds with their 16 count and you think, oh, yeah, pass, it could be a disaster. <laughs> hey, any, any convention always is liable to do that to you. But now, if you're not playing inverted minors, with that hand you're talking about, you have a really difficult problem. Mm. Anything could be right. Three no trumps could be right. Five diamonds could be right. Three diamonds could be right. It's so, so difficult, isn't it? Just your normal standard bidding problems. Normal standard bidding, you know, what you've got, doesn't really cover a hand like that. Oh, for a four-card major, Mariana. If you had a four-card major to go with your six diamonds, you could just bid your four-card major, and I think you should bid your four-card major. What about making up a bid? Wouldn't that put the can yeah, in the well, Making up a bid. Now, that's something that always seems like a great idea at the time. <laughs> So here we are. We've got two spades and two hearts. I mean, I reckon it's really, really dangerous to pretend you've got a, a four-card major when you've only got two of them. Partners never going to get the gag, are they? No matter how many times you put them back to diamonds, they're going to put you back to the major that you haven't got. You'd sort of think, though, you might be able to get away with lying in clubs. You've got three of them. Well, it does mean that you have to bid them at the two level. Yeah. And always sort of put partner back to diamonds because they're bigger than clubs. I don't know whether you've noticed. You've also got 12 high card points. So partner now knows you've got 10 plus points. Surely that must be valuable information. Okay, so you lied about your club. Let's face it, they're probably going to think, well, partner hasn't got hearts or spades because they haven't bid them. And they haven't supported my diamonds. Just how many clubs have they got? 
they'll be thinking, Partner must have a lot of clubs. And you'll be sadly disappointed when you put down three to the nine. (laughs) I know, but what do you do? Come on. I think if my answer is lying in any seat is always a risk, Mm -hmm. they're just going to believe you. So it's fraught with danger, lying. But, I mean, hey, if you want to live dangerously and see what will happen, I think the best lie would probably be two clubs. Yeah. Okay, well, what about four diamonds? What would that say, Barry? It says I don't want to play in three no trumps, but does four diamonds say I am stronger than three diamonds and I am stronger than three no trumps? Or does it say I am invitational in diamonds? Tell me more. What am I saying if I bid four diamonds? You know what's coming, don't you, Mariana? You're going to get the same answer. That oh, you I know. As per your system card. I don't want system <laughs> card. I'm asking for your advice. Now, if I was working and I was asking for your advice, you'd have to issue disclosure right about now. But I am asking a question. Come on. Give me your advice. That's a partnership agreement, Mariana. <laughs> yes. That's um, the most bullshitty way of getting out of asking <laughs> a question. <laughs> so, hey, look, I mean, some people would play four diamonds as minor would, asking for key cards and diamonds. Now, I think with your 12 count and six diamonds, you ain't good enough for that. I also think another reason for bidding not wanting to bid four diamonds is I think, as you said, you're saying you're not interested in three no trumps. Three no trumps could well be where you want to be. That's the trouble, isn't it? I mean, I believe that five diamonds is quite a preemptive bid. So I guess you could argue that four diamonds shouldn't be preemptive, really. Maybe that should be stronger than five. Okay. Well, the, if you're not uh, going to let me have my standard answer of it's down to partnership agreement. No, like I, I said, it's a interesting way. Of... <laughs> I'm going to say four stronger than five. And while we're on the subject, if we want to get some shitty emails in, I'm going to say that I think that minor wood is just a crock of shit. That's what I think. <laughs> I reckon it's Gerber in disguise. That's what I always call it. <laughs> it sounds like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. If you want to complain, send an email in. Yeah. What is it? Where does it go? Barry Jones at. <laughs> <laughs> it's where that one goes. No, go on, send it in. Send us in your comments on Minerwood. Bridgezoneshuffle at gmail.com. Let's go on down to Kermit and see how she is. Get your gumboots on. We're going down to the pond. What's this? It's Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Good morning, Kermit. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Mariana. We've come to join you in Level 2. Yeah, is that exciting? It is. What can you tell us today? Well, my tip today is pretty revolutionary and it may shock some people and it might jolt them into action. My tip today is, drum roll, learn your system. You've agreed to play with someone, whether it be at the club or at a tournament or online or it's your partner that you play very regularly with. Make sure that you know your system when you arrive at the game. There's so many things about bridge that are difficult to control, like what the opposition does and whether the cards sort of suit your system. All kinds of things that are difficult to control. But one thing that is easy to control is that you know your system. 
So you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your partner to come prepared. That's what I reckon anyway. You always hear these people that say, oh, yeah, but we just play basic. Yeah, basic what? (laughs) People say even things like they alert a bit and say that some convention name that the partnership is playing. Even when you know the name of a convention, it can vary so much from person to person. I usually say, I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what they've got in their hand sort of things? It's even a little bit perilous if you rock up and say, I'm playing... Michael's Cubids. With rangefinders. Have a basic discussion and decide what you're going to play and make sure that you learn it. So when you yeah, agree to play a rangefinder and it goes one no trump, two spades, partner's going to be pretty disappointed if you pass when it says on your card that it's a rangefinder, right? If you just say, oh, we're playing Echol with four card suits, there's still quite a few sort of things that need discussion, aren't there? There are. Yeah, you can't cover everything, but there's a few basic questions to ask each other, I think. I've got a basic question that I reckon that you should always ask, you should sure. always talk about, Go on, particularly then. if you're playing alcohol, but it doesn't matter what. What happens if we get doubled in the no trump, Pam? You and I are playing, and one of us opens a no trump, and the next hand says double. I reckon we should have a discussion before we start. Yeah, that's on the list of things to discuss, isn't it? Well, it should be, but my point is that it quite often isn't on the list of things to discuss, and you don't really think about it until somebody opens a no-trump and somebody else doubles, and it's too late then. Well, you can go to plan B and hope that it doesn't happen. (laughs) That's probably one of the thorns in his side, that one. It's not a plan, it's a prayer. (laughs) (laughs) I plan to pray. (laughs) It's quite good to have a little list of standard questions that you ask, whether you're at the club or playing in a tournament. 30 seconds at the bar, that would have to be one of them, yeah? 30 seconds at the bar and you just get paired up, that would have to be one of the questions that you'd cover, wouldn't it? I think it probably would. One of the other ones that people seem to launch into is ace asking. That comes way before what do we do after our one no trump gets doubled. Yeah, well, it's an important question. Other things is have a card. You know, <laughs> don't just talk about it. Put it on a system card. Even if you think your system's really basic, put it on a system card and then you look at it, hopefully get it right. Yeah, well, it's quite handy if you play with a few different people just to keep the system there ready for when you play with that person, isn't it? Yeah, well, Mariana, she has a pretty basic system card she uses. And one of the early questions I know is red or white. (laughs) Brilliant. But I'm going to come back to my tip because you have a discussion with someone and you agree to play some system. And even quite experienced peers, they agree to play some system. You can't cover everything. Some things you'll miss in your discussion. But if you've agreed to play it and it's on your card, then show up knowing it. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip. See you. We're just going to talk about butler pairs over in Australia and also IPs. I'll get in first with the IPs, Barry. Good luck to everybody competing this weekend. Hope your real bridge experience goes well and you're not too square-eyed by the end of the weekend. Hey, I just want to say a big well done to the three Kiwi pairs who made the second stage of the butler pairs 
being run at the moment in Oz. Michael Wibley, Susan Humphreys, Herman Wan and Yuzhong Chen. They actually wound up seventh. And as you know, only the top six picks qualified. So oh. I don't what happened to the pair sixth. But when I looked this morning, Herman and Yuzhong were there in the final. So well done to them. Well, that was more goss from us on the Bridge Zone. We will catch you next week. Bye for now. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.